Right. Good morning. What a beautiful day. <clears throat> Thank you so much, brothers, for that beautiful song. I'd like you to bow your heads with me as we pray this morning, as we get into our topic, Beauty for Ashes. Let us pray. Thank you so much, dear Lord, for giving us life today. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of another Sabbath, where we can come together and receive a new revelation, a fresh revelation of Jesus. Thank you for bringing us safely through another week into your house. And now, Lord, speak to us as we open your word. Give us spiritual ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And I pray, Father, that our lives will be changed, that we would be touched, we would be blessed, that you'd make our lives a transparent medium to display your glory in this dark and cold world that we live in. Please be with us, Holy Spirit. Lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our message this morning is entitled, Beauty for Ashes. I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. As we begin our study today, in the 61st chapter of Isaiah, we find a beautiful messianic prophecy pointing to the great work of Messiah. And it reads, Isaiah 61, we're going to read verses 1 to 4, and if you're there, if you're excited about Jesus, and if you're ready to study the Bible, would you please say amen? The Bible says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourned, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, and to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations." During the time of Isaiah, Israel was wavering between wickedness and righteousness. In their superficial head knowledge, they were losing a heart experience with Jehovah. They had become more and more concerned with formalism rather than faith. More focused on rules rather than a relationship. They desired earthly pleasure above heavenly peace. And because of their sinful abominations, a dreadful desolation was upon the horizon. Soon the literal city of Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Babylonians. And the pride and joy of the Jewish nation would be reduced to ashes. And yet despite their sins and their unfaithfulness, God remained faithful still. Isaiah saw in the prophetic vision. That the old waste places will be rebuilt, repaired, restored, raised up, and redeemed. And the prophet Haggai said that the latter house will be more glorious than the former house. Greater in glory. Why? Not because of the generous offerings of gold from Herod. But greater in glory because the desire of ages would come into that house and bring a new foundation. 
His presence would bring the beauty of spiritual grace. And he would offer to humanity a garment of praise in exchange for their spirit of heaviness. He would bring them heavenly beauty in exchange for the ashes of empty formalism. And so Isaiah here describes the work of Messiah. He points to the one that would come to rebuild broken humanity by the power of his message, the purity of his life, and the promise of his sacrifice. He would bring liberation to the captives, restoration to the brokenhearted, revelation to the wandering, and salvation to the suffering. Because, my friends, no matter how long we remain in the ashes of brokenness and the fires of unfaithfulness, he is the God that can bring beauty even from the ashes. I've experienced this firsthand. As many of you know, who were here last night, our house was destroyed by an arsonist just a few weeks ago. And the firemen, even though they were able to save our home, at least the structure, the soot and the smoke had permeated every single room of our house. Everything has been contaminated in our home. The toxic poisons of dust and ash are everywhere. It's in every room and in every closet. On my clothes, on my books, my electronics, on my pictures. And friends, I have to say that it's very, very upsetting to see all my stuff covered in this toxic black ash. You see, there are very few things I dislike more than dust and ashes. I spent a great deal of my time, personally, trying to get rid of it, removing it from my space. You ask my wife, I'm always trying to sweep and vacuum and wipe dust. I just hate dust. I don't like dust. I don't like it in my nose or in my eyes, on my stuff, on, or even in the atmosphere. In fact, I have three air purifiers. Well, I had three air purifiers. <laughs> They're on 24-7 to remove the dust particles even from the atmosphere. I despise feather dusters because all the feather dusters do is spread the dust. The only way to actually get rid of it is by air filters or vacuums. You know, sometimes my friends and my family members, they think I have OCD because I'm always trying to clean and organize and get rid of, trying to remove dust from my life. But I never understood why someone would consider a desire for order a disorder. That just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> I think that most rational people would agree that it's completely normal to want your life and your space to be as clean as it can be. It just feels better to be clean. How many of you agree with that? You're the normal people. Now, don't get me wrong. I grew up racing dirt bikes, playing in the mud, camping at the beach. And so in the context of work and recreation, I don't mind getting dirty. But when it comes to day-to-day -day life, I believe in the old saying that cleanliness is next to godliness. And so, friends, when the fire penetrated our home and the dust and the smoke and the soot permeated every corner and surface of our house, it was difficult for me to see it, to say the least. And now that the smoke is cleared, my family and I are left with the time-consuming task of cleaning away the dust and the ash and the charred wood of our home. Thankfully, everyone is safe. But now we're left with the frustrating and time-consuming task of rebuilding the brokenness and clear clearing the ash. And I just have to say, for a clean freak like me, it's been a very challenging and testing experience. And yet,
I still have so many reasons to smile because I've understood with greater clarity that it's in the fire. It is in the fire that our God is the God that can bring beauty from the ashes, blessings even from the brokenness. And so this morning, I want to share with you another lesson that God has been teaching me in the fires of this trial. You see, in the beginning of time, God made man beautiful from dust. That's what we are made from. He brought something beautiful from the dust. But tragically, because of sin, Bible tells us that we will return to dust one day, from ashes to ashes, from dust to dust. But the gospel story declares unto us that through the grace of God, Instead of going from ashes to ashes and from dust to dust, we can go from faith to faith and from glory to glory. Amen? But how does this take place? You see, ashes are simply the result of fire. And I want you to notice what God says concerning fire. Notice what it says. It's on the screen in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. The Bible says, Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, but do what, everyone? Rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with not just joy, but exceeding joy. You see, my friends, living in this spiritual war, it is expected that we will be attacked by the dragon. The enemy is angry with those who are a threat to his kingdom. And Jesus said that a servant is not greater than his master. If they hated me, they will hate you too, Jesus said. And so if we're being opposed, we must be doing something right. Amen. For all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But in the midst of this fiery trial, the Bible says that we can rejoice. We can be happy with exceeding joy. God has given us so many reasons because when we partake in the sufferings of Christ, we're also going to partake in the glory of Christ as well. Amen? And while we're in the fires of suffering, the fires of trial, God will give us three things, three things I want to share with you this morning. He will bring the beauty of lasting liberation the beauty of transparent transformation, and the beauty of comforting consolation. These are the three things I'd like to share with you today. Three things God has been teaching me. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, we are told, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, if need be you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearance of Jesus Christ. Here the Bible tells us that even though every day we wake up in a sinful world and we're bombarded with a total onslaught of temptation, that we can rejoice. God is trying us in the fire. Now, God doesn't tempt. It is the enemy that tempts us. And the sinful heart that misleads us. But every day we wake up in this world, in this battlefield, 
Our commitment to God is tested in the fire of trial and in the crucible of temptation. And God never promised that it's going to be easy. He did say that he would lead us beside green pastures and still waters. But he also told us that we would walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't promise it was going to be easy. But he did promise that it would be possible and that it would be worth it. And friends, it's far better to walk with God in the dark than to go alone in the day. It is far better to be with God in the night rather than be alone in the light. Because the Bible tells us it likens the testing of our faith to that of precious gold that's tried and purified in the fire. Now, friends, I don't know if you know anything about gold, but gold in its natural state is not pure. It is mixed with rock and dirt and other metals. And in order for the gold to be freed, to be liberated from the impurities and all the other worthless elements, it must go through an elaborate refining process of purification. It must be blasted, then crushed, then pulverized, then grinded to pulp, and then dissolved into water. After that, that water is heated. It goes through this, uh, it's, it's heated and, and then it's solidified after that. And then it's smelted at 3,000, around 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot. After that, it's cooled in cold water. Then it's reheated again. And the fiery process is repeated several times over. And every time, more and more impurities are removed. And the gold shines brighter and brighter. And the purer the gold, the brighter it shines. After that, the gold is casted, it's cut, and then it is sealed. And my friends, it's an expensive process. It's a dangerous process. It is a time-consuming process requiring great commitment. But the refiner is committed to the process. Why? Because the gold is so precious. And in the same way, God does not waste his time. The the heavenly refiner does not waste his time on base elements that have no worth. God reserves his greatest resources for that which is of inestimable worth. And that's you. And that's me. No matter how mixed up we are with the base elements of sin, we are still precious in his sight. Amen. I love this beautiful promise in the book, Ministry of Healing, page 471. Please write it down. It says, often God permits the fires of affliction to assail his children, that they may be purified. The fact that we are called upon to endure trial shows that the Lord Jesus sees in us something what? Precious, which he desires to develop. If he saw in us nothing whereby he might glorify his name, we would not, he would not spend time in refining us, not cast worthless stones into his furnace. It is valuable ore that he refines. My friends, don't ever forget that no matter how mixed up you are with the base elements of sin, that we are still precious in his sight. Amen. And it is in the fire that the Lord is seeking to liberate us, to give us lasting liberation from the base elements of sin. It's in that fire. Now, friends, in the third chapter of the book of Daniel, we find a very powerful story that illustrates this reality. We find the story of the fiery furnace. And, friends, this prophetic story has deep 
typological significance for those of us who are living in the last days. The kingdom of Babylon has set up a golden image. And the whole world was called to the plains of Dura to bow down to this, to this image. The whole world was gathered in an ecumenical unity. And at the sound of the music, they were to bow down and worship this man-made image. And those who refused would be thrown into the fiery furnace. There was a death decree that was attached to this law of false worship. And that which has been is that which shall be. History is being repeated before our very eyes. Because we've been told in Revelation that there's another end time Babylon that would do the same thing. That would set up a false image of worship. It is the exalting of the pagans golden day of the sun. Sunday worship. And right now the whole world it seems to be coming together in an ecumenical unity to bow down to that false image. In fact instruments of worship are being used to unite the churches of the world. They're putting aside all their doctrinal differences. They're coming together in a counterfeit spirit. Everyone is beginning to put aside the truth to bow down to the beast. And those who are seeking to remain faithful to God are being thrown into the fire. But friends, God had a people who wouldn't bow down. Amen. He had a faithful people who were faithful even in the face of fire. Three young men who had spiritual backbone. They said to the king, we're not careful how we answer you. They were not concerned with political correctness. They said, our God will deliver us. And that was beautiful. But what they said next was even more powerful. They said, but even if he doesn't deliver us, we will not bow down. They counted the cost. But they did not consider the consequences. They will be faithful even unto death. Amen. And because of their courageous stand, what happened? They were thrown into the fire. The most mighty men of Babylon threw them into the fire. Those and that fire was so hot. The men that threw them in were slain by that fire. And friends, the three Hebrews were not secretly raptured from it. They weren't taken out of tribulation. They went through tribulation, but they were preserved and purified within the fires of tribulation. Friends, the church in the last days, we're not going to be secretly raptured out out of tribulation. We're going to go through it, but we're going to make it. Why? Because Jesus will be with us. Who was with them in the fire? It was the Son of Man himself. Jesus was with them in the fires of persecution. And as he was with them, so too will he be with us. My friends, the time is coming where every single one of us will be thrown into the fires of a testing trial. Perhaps you're in it right now, this morning. But remember that even though you might not feel God's presence or see him working around you, that God is with us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And by the way, it is far better to be in the fires of persecution with Jesus than the fires of hell with the devil. Amen. And so let's never be afraid to stand up and to stand out and to speak up and to speak out for the cause of Christ. Let's never be afraid to do the right thing for God will always honor those who honor him. For just like pure gold in the fire, we are precious in his sight. And I believe those three Hebrew boys, they knew this promise in Isaiah. Isaiah 43, verse 1 and 2 and verse 4, it says, let's read this together, shall we? Here's the promise of the Lord. Let's read. The Bible says, fear not, 
For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Why? Since you were precious in my sight. You have been honored, and I have loved you. How many of you today want to say, Lord, give me the courage to stand for truth and help me to be focused and faithful to trust you in the fire. Is that your desire today? Amen. The three Hebrews knew that. I, 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 I can say with a great degree of confidence, they had to have known this verse that gave them so much confidence that even though they would be thrown into the fire, that God would be with them. My friends, it's interesting that Daniel chapter 3 tells us that they were not hurt or harmed by the fire. In fact, when they came out of the fire, there was not even the smell of smoke that was upon them. But did you know that they, there were two things that was destroyed by the fire? Only two things that burned in the fire. Number one, the men that threw them. And number two, the ropes that bound them. What a powerful lesson. You see, it's in the fire of trial that Jesus is seeking to free us from the burdens of Babylon. From the ropes. Those ropes burned because those were Babylonian ropes. And it's in the fire that God is trying to free us from Babylonian ropes. My friends, what kind of Babylonian ropes have bound you today? Is it the ropes of addictions, alcohol, drugs, pornography, lustful thoughts? What about the ropes of busyness? Some people are bound by the ropes of busyness. They have no time for spiritual activities. Others are bound in the ropes of a worldly, earthly relationship that is not pleasing to God. Perhaps that's you today. You don't know how to break loose. You're afraid to let go of that person in your life that's more important to you than God. Bound by the ropes of Babylon. Some people are bound by the ropes of doubt. They find, they find it difficult to trust God with their lives. With the ropes of guilt and shame, maybe this morning you're struggling with the mistakes of your past and you're overwhelmed with guilt. Maybe the ropes of low self-esteem. You're, you're believing the devil when he says to you that your life doesn't really matter. Maybe you're bound by the rope of loneliness. Loneliness. You can be in a crowd of people, but you feel all alone. You long for companionship and you feel like God is not enough. Maybe this morning you're bound by a rope of resentment. You have that, that thing that you're holding against that person that hurt you, that abused you, that mistreated you. And you refuse to forgive. Bound by resentment. Others are bound by the ropes of trying to guard their reputation. Sometimes we care so much about what others think of us. They're always trying to guard our reputation. Others are bound by a rope of debt, driven into debt, and as a result, discouraged and overwhelmed. Others are bound by a rope of pride. You refuse to humble yourself and acknowledge your wrong. 
And then there are others who are bound by ropes of spiritual indifference. Maybe this morning you've lost your first love experience. Well, my friends, if that is you, then you must be placed into the fire of trial so that God can burn off the burdens of Babylon and purify us with the fire of his presence. You see, my friends, it's in the fire that God brings lasting liberation from the burdens of Babylon. It is the means by which God cleans us by consuming our sin. And friends, if you find yourself in the fire today, maybe the flames of of financial troubles or the scorching of physical sickness, or maybe you're in the burning of a broken marriage and perhaps you've been in that condition for so long that it seems like everything in, in your life has been reduced to dust and ash. Oh, friends, I'm here to encourage you. Keep trusting God, the God that promises to give us beauty for ashes. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 8, He raises up the poor out of the dust and lifts up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit what? The throne of glory. And friends, that was the experience of the three Hebrew boys. God had taken them out of the fire from the ashes of the burnt ropes of Babylon. And when they came out of the fire, they were exalted in Babylon as as leaders promoted to a position of influence in the kingdom of Babylon. And so too, in the same way, when we trust God in the midst of the fire, fiery furnace, and allow Him to burn off the ropes of Babylon and purify us as gold, then He will lift us up from the dust of this world that we might inherit the throne of glory to sit with Jesus on His throne as overcomers, even as He overcame and sat down with His Father on His throne. And then we will be privileged to walk on streets of gold. But I found it interesting that the gold, the streets of gold in heaven, are so pure. The Bible says they're like transparent glass. You can see right through them. Gold so pure that it's like transparent glass. And my friends, listen, listen, listen. This, it's an object lesson. As the streets of transparent gold show the way in heaven, so too our lives are to show the way here on earth. You see, our lives ought to be like the streets of transparent gold. So that when people look at us, They don't see us. They see right through us to he that lives in us, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? We're going to walk on those streets of gold in heaven. But let's allow the Lord to make us streets of gold here on earth. Transparent. The people don't see you. They see Jesus living in you, showing them the way the streets of gold in heaven. I call this transparent transformation. You see, friends, in the fire, God not only brings lasting liberation, he also brings transparent transformation. I want you to consider with me that when when the Israelites were delivered from the bitter bondage of Egypt, when they were liberated, they went into the wilderness to meet their God. And the God of Israel called Moses to come upon the mountain. I want you to notice the experience of Moses. Exodus 24, verse 17 and 18. Please write it down. It says, And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like what? Devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went into the midst of the clouds. So the glory of God 
was like devouring fire. And when Moses went upon the mount, it was there, friends, that Moses saw God face to face. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 4, it says, The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount out of the midst of the well, out of the fire. Now, friends, Moses didn't see God's literal face, for no one can see God's literal face and live. What Moses saw upon the mount of fire was the glory of God that was like fire. You see, the glorious character of God and the face of God are actually synonymous in the Bible. The face of God and the glory of God are the same. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, it says, The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What Moses saw upon the mount of fire was the glorious character of God. And as Moses beheld, he became changed into the same image. So that when he descended from the mount of fire, now his face was shining with the glory of God. You see, Moses became a living reflection of the glory of God. And his face was shining so brightly that people had to put a veil to cover his face. And friends, in the same way, in a similar way, when we go through the fire of hardships and trials... It is then, like Moses, we're brought into a closer fellowship with God. It is then that we understand more clearly and deeply the glory of God, and we realize that God's glory is actually revealed in Christ's sufferings. For the Apostle Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The glory of God, the character of God is most clearly seen in the sufferings of Christ. And the more clearly we see his sufferings, the and his great love for us. What happens is this, friends. Our vision becomes clearer. And as our vision becomes clearer, our love for God becomes greater. And our, as our love becomes greater, our lives become brighter. And as our lives become brighter, our, the atmosphere around us becomes warmer. So that when people come into the atmosphere of our presence, they see and they feel the glory of God's character. Shining upon our faces. I call it transparent transformation. When people look at us, they don't see us. They see right through us. Just like Moses upon the mountain of fire. And just like the transparent streets of gold in heaven. People will see Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. Amen. A few years ago, my wife and I got the chance to visit the Italian city of Venice. How many of you have been to Venice before? In Venice, there's an island there that has the famous Murano Glass Factory. We visited there, and we learned something about how these beautiful, these beautiful vessels of glass is made and, how, and what it's made from. Now, friends, you know that glass in its original form isn't transparent at all. What is glass made of? Anyone know what glass is made of? It's made from sand. And by the way, what is sand? It's, sand is simply broken rocks, pulverized rocks. Glass in its original form is not transparent at all. But when you take the broken pieces, the, this pulverized rocks, when you take this ordinary sand and heat it to its melting point at 3,900 degrees Fahrenheit, the extreme heat, in the extreme heat, the sand undergoes a complete irreversible transformation. It turns into liquid glass that becomes moldable and pliable. And when the, when the liquid glass cools, it remains in its translucent, transparent state. 
And friends, that's what God wants to do for you and me. The divine glass master desires to put us in the fire. He wants to take the ordinary broken sand of our experience and he places us in the fire. And under the extreme pressure of trials, we too experience complete transformation. It is then that the fire, it is in the fire that our characters become moldable and pliable. And then after that, he twists and he tears, he bends and he breaks, he pulls and he stretches us and he fashions us to a beautiful, transparent vessel to display the glory of God in this world. Amen. Speaking of Moses' Moses' experience upon the mount, Paul makes the practical application in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass. The glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. From what? Glory to glory. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Because of sin, it's from ashes to ashes and from dust to dust. But because of Jesus, it can be from faith to faith and from glory to glory. You see, my brothers and my sisters, like Moses in the fire, it's in, it's in that fire we see God's face, his character, his glory. And just like glass, it is in the fire that we're changed into that same image. So God places us in the fire to clean us by consuming our sin. That's lasting liberation. But he also places us in the fire to make us clear by consuming self. And that is transparent transformation. Like the song we sing, ought to be our prayer today. Live out thy life within me. O Jesus, King of kings. Be thou thyself the answer to all my questionings. Live out thy life within me and all things have thy way. I thy transparent medium, thy glory to display. As beautiful glass is made from broken rocks, so too God can make a thing of beauty out of you and me. He is the God that brings beauty for ashes. From the ashes of hardship comes the beauty of character. How many of you want this transparent, transforming experience more deeply in your life? Amen? You see, in the fiery furnace, God not only brings lasting liberation, He not only brings transparent transformation, He also brings comforting consolation. Notice what else the Bible says happens in the fire. St. Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. Please write it down. It says, Blessed be God, Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. That, what is the purpose? One of the purposes? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds in us. By Christ. My friends, the point of the passage is very simple. When we go through the fires of affliction, we're able to comfort others who are in that same situation. God doesn't cause pain, nor does God waste the pain that we experience. You see, many times God uses our brokenness to be a blessing to others. Someone said it like this Sometimes God redeems your story. Your broken past, your wasted life. Sometimes God redeems your story by surrounding you with people who need to hear your past. 
so that it doesn't become their future. Comforting consolation. You see, my friends, from the mess of brokenness, God can bring a message of blessing. Amen? From earthly trials, God can bring heavenly triumph. From excruciating pain, God can bring eternal peace. And from a brutal test, God can bring a beautiful testimony. And that's what he wants to do for you, friend. What are you going through today? What fiery trial do you face this morning? My friends, when you study the Bible, if there is a book in the Bible that has brought more comfort to more people perhaps than any other book, I would say it's the book of Job. You see, Job was blessed by the Lord, richly blessed by God. But everything was taken away from Job. He lost his family, his children, his home, his possessions. Later on, he lost his health. He lost the support of his wife and the support of his friends. And there Job sat, clothed in sackcloth and ashes. Job's life was reduced to ashes, it seemed. And worst of all, when you think about the story of Job, worst of all, during this great time of trouble, heaven was completely silent. For 37 chapters, Job did not hear a word from heaven. Here is his faith being tried in the fire. Notice what Job's testimony was. Chapter 23, verse 2 to 5. Job said, even to this day, my complaint is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. And then, in verse 8 and 9, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he does work, and I cannot behold him. He hides himself on the right hand. I cannot see him. It seemed like God had forsaken him. And Job didn't understand why. Three times in the passage he says, I can't perceive him. I can't behold him. I can't see him. God, where are you when I need you the most? Why have you forsaken me? Oh, friends, have you ever asked that question? Where are you, God? Why have you allowed my loved one to be diagnosed with cancer? Why did you allow me to lose my child? Why did I go through that devastating divorce? Why? Why, God? Where are you? And Job, he was wondering. He had these questions and he couldn't find the answer. He didn't understand a lot of things. But there was one thing that Job did understand that enabled him to get through the fire. Here's what Job knew in verse 10. He said, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Though Job did not know why he was going through what he was going through, he began to realize that in the burning crucible, he was being refined as gold in the fire. And Job knew that God knew. He says, I don't know, but, but, but he knows. You may not know the reasons for specific different situations. God knows. Job knew that God knew his pain. He understood his sorrow. And this reality brought to Job comfort that 
that, that enabled him to keep trusting, keep praying, keep moving forward. Job had nothing to cling to except for the promise of God. And by clinging to that word, Job overcame. It is the same for you today, my friends. Listen, if Jesus is all you have, then you have all you need. Because before it's, been, before it's over, if we're faithful to God, we will be stripped of every earthly comfort. And if Jesus is all you have, you have all you need. Amen. And when you can trust God in adversity, God can trust you in prosperity. Because notice what happened when Job came out of the fire. In verse Chapter 42, verse 10, it says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. You see, when Job took his mind off of his situation and started praying for his friends, that's when his captivity turned. He was blessed with more th th than that. He was, he, God gave him double of what he had before. But he was also blessed with the opportunity of being a blessing to others. That was the blessing of Job. He was blessed to be a blessing to others in praying for his friends. And friends, Job is not only a blessing to his friends back then, he's also a blessing to us here today. Amen? I mean, think about it. The story of Job has brought hope and courage and comfort to millions of people down throughout the ages. This was the first book of the Bible written. And I suppose, I suppose if the devil only knew how, ma how, how, how many millions of people would be inspired by the story of Job, perhaps the devil would have left Job alone. <laughs> because from the ashes of Job's misery came the beauty of comforting consolation. I want my life to do the same. How about you? Amen? I want my life to be that blessing. You see... <laughs> After the house fire, we're almost finished. After the house fire, I began to realize that from the ashes of this terrible experience, that I had so many reasons to be thankful. So many reasons to praise God. So many precious lessons God was teaching me in the fire. I began to make some time to write them down. And I, I, I wrote a whole bunch of things down. So many things I found to be thankful for. When you take your minds off of your situation. And begin to count your blessings. You realize that your blessings will always outweigh your difficulties. And let me tell you, it gave me more fire. The devil damaged my home. It gave me fire to do some damage to his kingdom. I, I said, I'm not going to waste this experience. And so I, 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 I flew my friend from Michigan over. He's a videographer. And we recorded three or no, four devotional clips in the midst of the charred ruins of my home. Sharing these lessons. The first one was just released Last week, it's called Strength to Love. It's already been viewed over 20,000 times, shared over 700 times, hundreds of comments. From the fires came this wonderful opportunity to praise God and to show people that they, can too have, they, can, they too can find strength to love. Not only that, but right after the fire, just minutes there were three television stations there on the scene interviewing me several times. And on live TV, TV I was able to preach the, the message of Christ. Amen. Thousands of people all across Hawaii was able to hear the message. It was beautiful. You can see those video clips. I'm going to post them in the next few weeks. 
But it was an awesome experience to shine for the glory of God. So many people have commented when they saw the, the video of, of the news and they saw the, the devotional clip we put together. So many commented how that video clip helped them find the, find the love to forgive those who've hurt them. You see, friends, if God does not give you a miracle, he will make you a miracle to somebody else. If he doesn't give you one, he'll make you one. And so for this reason, among many others, I stand before you here today thankful for the fire. Praising God in the midst of the fire. Through it, God is refining me like precious gold tried in the furnace. He's making me a transparent glass medium to display His glory because He's the God that brings beauty from the ashes. How many of you want to experience this in your life? What makes this experience a reality for us? Here's my closing thought. That which enables us to praise God and be thankful and to smile in the midst of the fire is only because we understand that Jesus went into the fire for us. In the typical service, the lamb was completely, utterly consumed by fire. And from the ashes of sacrifice, comes the beauty of salvation. Jesus went into the fire and was consumed for us. And just as the sacrifice was fully consumed by fire, so too, friends, listen, 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 so too will Jesus fully, thoroughly, utterly, absolutely, completely, and perfectly save us from sin. From the penalty of sin in lasting liberation. We call it justification. Number two, he will also save us from the power of sin. That's transparent transformation. We also call it sanctification. And number three, from the presence of sin in comforting consolation. And that's what we call glorification. For at the end of the great controversy between good and evil, this whole world will be consumed by fire. And from the ashes of the old world will come the beauty of a new heavens and a new earth, wherein righteousness will dwell. And in that time, blessed are the meek, for the meek shall inherit the earth. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, not just like how Moses saw him but we will see God literally face to face. And forevermore, we will dwell in the presence of the one who brings beauty from the ashes. Glory, glory, glory. We shall be with the God of fire. And so today, how many of you want to say, Lord, help me to trust you in the fire. And Lord, Make me, make my life a transparent glass to display your glory to the world. Is that, is that your desire? If so, would you stand with me? As we close with a word of prayer, thanking God that he gives beauty for ashes and a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Let us pray. Thank you so much, dear Lord.
for speaking to our minds and our hearts today. Thank you, Lord, that it's in the fire that you're wanting to give us lasting liberation, transparent transformation, and comforting consolation. Lord, forgive us for the times we have doubted. Forgive us for the times that we have complained and murmured and grumbled. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. That when we go through our personal Job experiences, that we would cling to the promise of your word. That during the times we can't see you or feel you, and during the times when we don't have the answer to the question why, that we will still know in our heart of hearts that you know that you would never permit us to be tried above that, we, that which we are able to handle by your grace. Lord, we pray that you would please purify us. Free us from the burdens of Babylon, Lord. May those ropes burn off and make us a transparent vessel of glass, pure gold like transparent glass, that we, can peop- we by, the, by your grace, can show people the way to your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. Lord, I want to pray for my friends here, anyone who's going through something difficult, a devastating divorce, a loss of a loved one, a financial hardship, maybe physical sickness, whatever it is, Lord. We pray that you'd please bring beauty from the ashes of our experience. We thank you that you will do it because you've promised, and we trust you. We accept you, and we thank you. We ask this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.